Welcome to episode 6 of season 2 of the Search with Candor podcast, recorded on Wednesday the 16th of February 2022. My name is Mark Williams-Cook and today I'm joined by my co-host Jack Chambers and today we'll be talking about more Google Search Console foibles and API uses, Google Analytics being ruled illegal and a little bit about GA4 attribution. Search with Candor is supported by Systrix, the SEO's toolbox. Go to systrix.com slash SWC if you want to check out some of their excellent free tools, such as checking out your visibility index, Google Update Impact, Keyword Research, and Paid Speed Checker. You can also find the monthly trend watch data by going to systrix.com slash trends and signing up for the newsletter. That's systrix.com slash SWC for free tools and systrix.com slash trends for the trend watch newsletter. I like these. Uh, I like doing these bits because I feel like we may have helped someone who was scratching their head before, which is that Google did have an outage of data between the first and third of February in Google Search Console. So this hasn't affected everyone, but I did manage to find two of our accounts that were affected, and essentially all that happened is all of the data for some or all of that period was missing. So Google search data, Google discover, Google news, it's all gone. So if you are wondering why, that is why. And while it remains a burden assiduously voided, it is not unexpected and thus not beyond the measure of reporting. Yeah, Google have gotten into a habit of not necessarily lately, like errors aren't new, but we had one in January, we had one in November, we had one in August, I think as well. Like it's happened a few times over the last six months or so, it feels like. I don't know what they're doing wrong. I saw people complaining about it, being like, they're the biggest company in the world. They shouldn't have these issues, as if data loss is a thing Google is actively doing or whatever. Like kind of like you said, in, in terms of reporting and stuff, whether you're in-house or agency side or freelancing or whatever you're doing, having that weird little moment where everything drops to zero can really make your heart jump. I mean, you know, it, it's commonly known that as technology companies scale to handle huge amounts of data everything gets much simpler yeah so i don't understand why they've had problems <laughs> <laughs> but as i said it's not beyond a measure of reporting and there is actually a google search console data anomaly report so there's there's actually two ways you can spot this in the performance chart in this case there's a little i underneath the date which if you hover over it it will kind of say whoops yes um we lost some data there but there is a separate URL that retroactively lists all of the issues they've had and where they've had them and, and what part of Search Console has been on. It's really helpful just for if you are going back and reporting and you can't remember what happened six months ago um, and you need to include it, it, it's all in there. So we'll put a link in the show notes at search.withcanda.co.uk for that. So the last couple of weeks, we've been touching on the Google Search Console URL inspection API. As we said at the time, it's big news, and it's going to have a lot of ripples throughout the industry and repercussions and all this kind of stuff. And you teased some numbers last time, Mark. You talked about having an a thousand was it a thousand property limit per 
That's right. Yes. Per account, and then two thousand two thousand URLs per property for a total of two million. And somebody actually has put that to the test. It seems <laughs> <laughs> unbelievably. Well, Glenn Gabe has made a rather wonderful tool that does what I said someone could do. <laughs> and this is what I love about the SEO community, actually, which is that something new has come out and the innovation happens really, really quickly. So what Glenn has put together is something in Excel, which also I love because we've got all these different solutions for using the API. You know, we've had Python, we've got web-based interfaces, there's Data Studio stuff, you can integrate it with the Screaming tools. Frog and Sightbulb tools and stuff, yeah. So this is the one for the Excel lovers out there. And Glenn is using uh, Ed, uh, Analytics Edge Core and the GSC connector. Now there is a free trial of these, but the Analytics Edge Core uh, plugin for Excel, I think it's $100 for the year, and the GSC connector's like $50. So this is still a huge amount of power you're getting for you know, $150 for the year. Um, cheaper than Netflix, right? You know, <laughs> and way more fun. Um, so Glenn's put together a really neat tutorial um, using these plugins, which essentially allows you to do what we spoke about, which is pull in these lists of 2,000 URLs by property and mass check them for indexing. And the tutorial does actually go into how to set everything up, how to install everything. He's written a separate post about adding the Analytics Edge core in there and everything like that. So if you have no idea what Mark is talking about, it is a full step-by-step -step from Glenn there that is really, really useful and really well written. So the use case here is essentially you either have a very large site or you have multiple sites that you want to check how they're being indexed. This gives you a solution that you can run on your desktop in Excel for a very low price where you press a button and it will just go and do that for you. Really impressive stuff. Glenn is another one of those people actually that I just end up mentioning on the show time and time again because he's constantly, um, constantly discovering good things, thinking about good things, making good things. They're definitely worth a follow on Twitter as well if you don't already. While looking at this as well, I found something else cool, which is this one's a web page by a chap called Dave Smart who runs tamethebots.com, which has a whole, whole load of interesting stuff on it, but to do with the Google Search Console indexing API, Dave's done something which hadn't really occurred to me to do in this kind of way yet, which again is, is really smart. So he has a tool that you can connect up to your Google Search Console. Uh, and this is just done through the web interface. So super, super easy. It will check for URLs that have dropped to zero impressions. And it will then just cherry pick and check those against the API to see if they're indexed. So it's essentially diagnosing um, a potential problem for you, which is, hang on a minute, these URLs now have no traffic and finding out very quickly if the cause of that is because they're not in the index anymore. It's actually even more sort of customizable than that as well. You can set like the period over how long you want to compare to. So has this happened over the last week or the last month or however long? And you can look at percentage of impression loss as well. So not necessarily just ones that have dropped to zero, but w which ones have dropped by 50% or 90%, things like that. You can really dial in and work out what's going on a really page-by-page -page basis, which I think is really interesting. This, I think, will also be useful in the reverse, 
which is a lot of the time when we do technical audits, one of the things we come across at common issue on site is normally they have too many pages indexed. Say, you know, you've got these 2000 tag type pages indexed. You could use this tool actually to start seeing from when you made changes, how quickly those pages were dropping out of the index as well. So if you set them as no index and maybe you've removed links from them or anything like that. So there's a few different ways I think it could be useful. But the thing I love about it is it's just there. There's no, you know, with this one, there's no installing dependencies in Python or, or paying for stuff. He's just done it. It's on the site. You can just do it and use it really, really quickly. So really, really excellent tool. Again, we'll put an, a link in the show notes, search.withcanda.co.uk for this tool as well. Something we've also been talking about yeah, since the start of season two, pretty much, is Bing. Because, you know, we feel like we talk about Google all the time, but it's nice to give Bing a little rub every now and then. It needs it. I feel like they're making a comeback. I feel like <laughs> this is Bing. This is going to be Bing's year. Oh, okay. Yeah. All thanks to us. Not any kind. That's not any kind of official prediction. I just have a good feeling about them. They're going yeah. to do something cool this year. Microsoft are doing big things in the gaming world. So maybe that's going to... The innovations they're doing there is going to rub off on the Bing side of things. <laughs> rub off. Yeah. The like, game team will just walk through the, yeah. the Bing. Team Xbox are just like, hey, Bing team. <laughs> Why don't, why don't you go and buy out another search engine or something? Have you tried making the search better? <laughs> we joke. No, I, I don't know. I feel warm towards Bing. Maybe this is their, their advertising or their lack of, or maybe it's just in contrast to all the news I see about Google at the moment. But I feel warm feelings to Bing, which considering Microsoft's rep 10 years ago, they, they kind of lived long enough to be the bad guy and then everyone <laughs> forgot about that. And then Facebook took over. <laughs> Sorry, Meta. Meta took over because, yeah, that's the thing. But, yeah, this is an interesting piece from The Verge, uh, actually spinning off of their podcast, The Vergecast, where I absolutely love this title. It is, apparently, people do use Bing, <laughs> which is perhaps cruel but somewhat accurate. And funny enough, tying into Xbox side of things, a lot of people were talking about the reason they use Bing is Microsoft Rewards. And you can build up enough points on Microsoft Rewards by just using Bing every day and using certain functions and stuff like that. You can get things like Xbox Game Pass subscriptions and things like that. I assume it takes a while, but if you do basically tick all the Microsoft boxes and use the stuff that they recommend, you can actually build up reward points that you can get for like gift cards and all kinds of stuff. I guess it's working for some people. Well, I saw, yeah, one of the users fed back and their their thought was essentially, well, look, my data is going to be sold slash used slash I don't know what one way or another. So I may as well get something out of it. Just a fair point, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And it's actually a poll of the Vergecast listeners that they kind of reached out and see like, do people use Bing? Why do you use Bing? All this kind of stuff. And whether it's something like Microsoft Rewards or something as simple as, this is a direct quote here, I really enjoy the new background image every day. Just a nice photo, like as simple as that. I mean, there's, there's plenty of ways of doing that on your computer, but. <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess people like the Google doodle, don't they? they some yeah, people yeah. really, really like that. There's I mean, some really cool ones for the Olympics recently. There was that like RPG Olympics game thing they did with the cats. Do you, do you remember what I'm talking about? Uh, it was a really cool Google doodle. So I've become blind to Google doodles. <laughs> Honestly, like I couldn't tell you I, I just use it every day for, for work. I just, I'm just straight for that search box, hit return. Or even, even I guess now, a lot of the time, I don't even go to Google. I'm just using the Omnibar. Yeah, fair. 
So I'm a, I'm a power user. <laughs> <laughs> so to be honest, right, and I probably should have known this because obviously we do, um, you know, we do work with Bing as well. Um, we have really good success with the PPC side of stuff, as we've spoken about. Yeah, before, we've touched like, on that before. Yeah, with B two B, I didn't actually know about this Microsoft rewards thing. So t to me, in my you know head, because I didn't have to think about it too much, was generally it was being you know oh yeah default edge installations B two B IT setups, um, maybe older users in general, which from the data I had seen was was right. But this actually you know the way that they're incentivizing this means there is kind of a crop of just younger people who I think kind of don't care as much about the search result. They'd rather just have the stuff, right? They'd rather have the games. Yeah. Something I have, I have actually used Microsoft Rewards before. My partner is a Xbox gamer and I always see her kind of, you get rewards for however many achievements you get. And if you log on at a certain time, I sometimes use the Xbox cloud gaming thing on my phone. So I'm using like the little controller you plug into your Android and, I can earn points for her on her account that way and all this kind of stuff. And yeah, you can donate some of it to charity. You can do all kinds of stuff with this reward system. Surprisingly good. And I think a lot of the kind of gaming systems and, and kind of this more tech-focused kind of stuff kind of loses sight of some really basic marketing techniques of like, we're talking about top cashback and stuff like that not too long ago. There is literal value in just giving people supposed money or physical things or digital things just for using your products there is a certain amount of customer retention there there is a certain amount of attention in general that you bring just by the fact that google rewards playstation rewards isn't a thing to kind of look at the search engine and, and gaming kind of comparisons there and it's interesting that it is kind of crossing over as well the fact that microsoft is you know at the forefront of so many different sides of the tech world whether that's search engines pcs operating systems gaming all this kind of stuff i kind of forget they're the same thing i always think of being an xbox as very separate things and then microsoft as like the juggernaut and i don't really kind of converge the two in my mind if that makes sense and i mean google's not above they're, they're certainly doing this i mean google kind of cuts out i guess the, the end user i mean I, th I think it's 15 billion that google pays um to apple to have them as primary search you know that's a lot of dosh yeah right? yeah so i think you know and that 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 used to be a, without going deep into history the whole thing about you know browsers being packaged on you know like dell pcs when they come when they come straight out but there is a double-edged sword to this i think we were, we were going to talk about this later but it, it makes sense to mention it so it makes sense to touch on this now i guess we were going to talk about it later which is something we saw uh, well, you saw our friend Valentin Pletzer uh, pick up again that Google's doing. Yeah, it was interesting. Again, Valentin showing up once again on the show because he does great stuff and tweets great things. Go and follow him on Twitter. Links, as always, in the show notes at search.withcanda.co.uk. And yeah, Valentin brought up uh, an interesting thing about shopping on Google specifically and how, in his own words, Google wants to know if you own a product and wants you to review it. And just by searching something, it asks the question, rate and review, do you own this product? Help others by sharing your experience. And there's a little five-star option there. The, the classic kind of thing you see on Google reviews, but they are kind of actively pushing that into the shopping side of things. Before you've even bought something, they're just checking, do you already own this thing? Could you review it for us as, you know, trying to get data from their users, basically? I think this is where the, the double-edged sword comes, right? So 
I think the the general public consensus, maybe without and understandably not understanding all the implications, have a with we want a privacy first kind of approach. Like, oh, I don't want to give you that information. I don't want to do this. Don't want to do that. We touched on that with DuckDuckGo and the whole other search engines and people becoming more especially with meta and this whole metaverse thing that's coming, people are kind of more conscious about their privacy and these huge leaks and controversies that have happened with these big tech companies that basically know where you are, who you are, who you're sat in a room with, who you're hosting a podcast with at any given moment, at any given time. They know everything about you already. And as some people take the like, yeah, they already know anything. I've got nothing to hide approach. But I definitely think there is a significant number of people that want to have a bit more privacy and try and reclaim a bit of that privacy that has been slowly chipped away at over the last couple of decades. The flip side, which I also completely understand, is we need this data to do cool stuff. <laughs> right? So I'll give you an example. I'm not I'm not a very kind of fashion type person. I thought not- you I thought you were a style guru last week, Mark. <laughs> so a lot of a lot of the ways I discover clothing now is literally if something comes up on Instagram and I'm like, oh I like that. But then I have to spend the next 30 minutes trying to work out if it's a legit brand or some pop-up oh, yeah. scam rubbish Is thing. it some dropship nonsense? Yeah, yeah and, and the same thing happened to me literally this weekend when I'd been shown these like trainers that I thought were really neat. And I, I Googled them and kind of not a lot came up. And then I found the site and I looked at their Instagram and they had, you know, like, 5,000 pictures on there but that doesn't mean a lot you know that <laughs> that that could come from anywhere and I was, I was trying to find some way to tie them as an entity to to real people and this kind of thing of do you own this product and getting Google to understand the brand um, and on mass people's association experience with it would have been incredibly helpful and I didn't buy from them in the end basically because i couldn't really find them online so and it was going to be ordering you know it looked like from europe so i was a bit like i don't really want to do this you know i'm i'm a big privacy advocate you know i use stuff like proton vpn at home and i used to use proton mail and you know i understand the why that's important but I also understand if we are going to build systems that can genuinely help us, they need to have some kind of understanding of our behavior and you, understanding. You need data to run algorithms to understand the customers and the users, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So if, if everyone opts out, none of these systems that we're trying to build to help ourselves will work. And yes, of course, there is a very thick capitalist crust on the edge of this, which is that data is money in 2022 let's be real yeah and and companies are abusing it and misusing it and trying to you know quote unquote extract as much value as possible from this <laughs> data which normally is bad means bad things happen with it yeah but yeah i'm kind of on the fence with you know like the cookie thing you know like most people don't understand really what a cookie is if you stop them ask them in the street and actually most of the time it helps them and remembers that they've been to the site and you know you get people doing the same thing. They complain about the privacy, but then they complain things can't be customized and the website can't remember them. Exactly. When you go in to clear your browsing history, oh, I need to clear my cookies or whatever. Google says that, well, I'm using Chrome here as an example, that some sites may not remember you and may load more slowly next time and all this kind of stuff. It's encouraging you to keep those cookies. And like you said, Mark, like some people who don't fully understand the technology behind that and both the pros and the cons 
suddenly lose the positive because they thought, oh no, I need to have more privacy or I don't understand what this is, get rid of it and then complain that, oh, I forgot my password. Now I can't get into this thing. Why didn't it remember my password? I, th I told it to remember my password. Actually, no, you didn't. You told it to forget your password 10 minutes later because you cleared your cookies and all this kind of stuff. I think it's really interesting seeing kind of how more people are getting switched on to how big tech works and how data is being used and stuff like that. And I think particularly, and I know I keep using Facebook as the example for bad guys, but they're the obvious target. <laughs> but using them with all the Cambridge Analytica stuff and a huge like data scandal that happened fairly recently, I think a lot of more people are getting switched on to this kind of stuff. And obviously as generations grow up using their phones and tablets and laptops and stuff, you know, I know you and I, Mark, are old enough to remember a time before the internet. But anybody who is like born in the 21st century basically doesn't remember, won't remember when they're adults, a time before the internet, a time before having a phone, before having an iPad just at, you know, probably, I don't know, probably some metaverse bollocks that we'll have in, <laughs> in, in 10 years' time. There'll be a time where we don't know any different and data will just be our lives or, you know, we'll be living in the metaverse like some Ready Player One thing or something like that. I know I'm off topic here, but you get my point, right? Like data is becoming more and more a part of our lives, whether we like it or not, both positively and negatively. The takeaway for me from for this, from a digital business search website point of view would be, this is another sidestep I think Google is taking in its knowledge graph, in things it can use in ranking. I don't think it's going away. So it's another reason to make sure from an SEO point of view, that your your product is good, your customer service is good, you're delivering on what you say you're going to deliver and, and being honest about it because I think that's important. Well, I know that's important to consumers because I am one of them. Um, but I do think that's going to become more of a factor within search. I'm not saying directly within rankings, but I'm saying that information will be there. So it's definitely something, again, on the longer range plan that I would that I'd be looking at. Yeah, I think knowledge graph is a key there. I think, and especially, and again, I know we touched on this a lot and shout out to Lily Ray, as always, always talking about EAT and talking about trustworthiness and authoritativeness and establishing, you know, you as a, as a brand, as a person that has an authority in your subject. You've got to build that trustworthiness with your clients, with your customers, with new users coming to your site. That's pretty much true across the board. And I think you're totally right, Mark. A lot of people forget and we talk in these kind of nebulous terms of, oh yeah, customers and users. We're customers, we're users. Even even as we're working behind the looking glass, like looking through and being like, oh, I'm a digital marketing professional. I, I understand how some of this stuff works. But you're still a customer, you're still a user, you're still an active participant in the other side of it. I think that's something I know I'm totally guilty of forgetting myself until, like you mentioned, you have that moment where you go, oh yeah, that does actually directly apply to me. And I do have to... I actively go and search for reviews to kind of judge a trustworthiness of a of a brand or a page or a website or whatever it is. So we're at the midpoint in the show. Let's talk about some Systrix stuff. And we've talked about Index Watch. We've talked about Trend Watch. We're going to talk about Sector Watch this week and briefly touch on something written by Charlie Williams, who is one of the new data journalists over at Systrix. This is actually Charlie's first piece district so credit to you charlie it's an interesting piece talking about project management software and 
Sector Watch specifically is a monthly publication that talks about leading domains and performance content and all this kind of stuff about a specific sector. And as I said, this one is talking about project management software and you can then use that kind of template if you're in that sector or if you're thinking about working with a client in that sector or something like that, you can see what people are doing right, what people are doing wrong and kind of get an idea of where to go and how to use this data and template and use this data in Systrix for your clients and for your own website potentially. So Charlie delves into some of the details about project management software. Obviously, us being a digital marketing agency, we have talked about, I talked about this with one of our project managers yesterday in the studio, funnily enough. And we're talking about, oh, in my previous job, we use this software. Now in, we're here at Canda, we use this software. Oh, the, the, the digital marketing side, we use this stuff to track our projects, whereas the web development people use this to track their things. It was very interesting kind of contrasting and comparing our experiences, you know, both being in the industry for four or five years each at this point and going through a few different companies and both ending up landing here at Canada. And I think maybe the most interesting thing to me is Charlie delving into the search intent. Again, I think that's something a lot of people forget. And a key part of what we do as SEOs is thinking about why people are searching for that thing. How are they going to find your brand and what their intent is once they find that and once they type that thing into the search engine. And he differentiates between people looking for project management techniques, so particular skills looking to grow themselves in kind of a professional way as a no intent, K-N-O-W specifically. And then also people looking to buy the software. So that might be a project manager, like head of the department or a director of a company looking to upgrade or change or whatever as a do intent. So more of a transactional kind of intent. And Charlie delves into similar to how we did with index what's like biggest winners, biggest losers, all that kind of stuff, who's doing really well in that sector and delves into some of the interesting bits and pieces for the search content and search intent there as well. So uh, yeah, do go and check that out. You can go to systrix.com slash blog and uh, have a look at Sector Watch for this month. Like I said, it's all about project management software. So if there is something you're interested in, I highly recommend going and checking out that article on the Systrix blog. That's pretty cool, that Sector Watch stuff. I imagine if you're working in-house and you're working for a company that does project management software, you're now like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you can just dump all of that into your own presentation, internal stakeholders be like, look at all this great data I've got. It's almost like a free bit of competitor research, right? Like just getting it straight from a nice little blog post and using real data as well, which is really interesting. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's what I mean, really. Like it, it's just you hit jackpot, really. Maybe um, Systrix should have kind of like a vote for their users as to who's working in-house like please cover us first because that that kind of stuff can be um very onerous to like dig up and and present and, and really time and, consuming as well exactly so that's that's really cool i guess if you're working with it. let's talk france oh okay why not <laughs> so bonjour and bonjour williams yeah, cook this yeah let's not embarrass me French privacy regulator rules against use of Google Analytics is mm. the headline, 10th of February. And this is a story about France's privacy regulator that has ruled an unnamed website cannot use Google Analytics because it transfers personal data to the United States in breach of EU privacy law. So this is all about, and I've I've heard about this before a lot about especially with GDPR about this transatlantic data flow about where data is stored and where it's 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 processed 
And I guess what interested me about this, apart from the the bombshell headline, which when you first read a headline about like that, you're kind of like Google Analytics is illegal. Yeah, you're like, well, is it very? He- <laughs> it's very headliney, very yeah, attention grabbing on purpose. The reason I I wanted to bring this up in the show is actually it's the second European Data Protection Authority to reach this conclusion that in January the Austrian regulator ruled that a website couldn't use Google Analytics, um, and the Dutch one also gave warning. So this is. Two and a half times this has happened now this year, which does give me pause for thought now as an agency because we're pretty much reliant at the moment on Google Analytics. No pun intended. We use it pretty universally. Right? <laughs> we do. We don't use it poorly. <laughs> we use it universally. <laughs> that's the, yeah, that's a can of worms that is, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure in terms of... Because when you look at the, the analytics data model and how they collect process data, I'm not sure if in relation to what we're talking about now where the data goes if that's different with GA4 I don't know if they have a different uh, literally physical geographic infrastructure about how how they do that I assume not I guess all yeah the I would assume it would piggyback off of what the analytics stuff mm-hmm. is doing already well I just, I just assume if it if it was the the article would have just been like, and then they use GA4 at the end. <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah. Maybe this is Google's grand plan to get everyone onto <laughs> GA4, be like, sorry, guy, actually, it turns out that Universal Analytics is illegal now. So you can run Universal Analytics in parallel. Well, actually, no, you can't run it in parallel. <laughs> actually, now Universal Analytics is illegal. So you have to use GA4. <laughs> they were playing both sides all along. Oh, those big tech companies, too clever for us. <laughs> yeah, I think it would be sensible in-house especially if you're operating in lots of different countries because you have more sides of exposure and certainly if you're an agency to start thinking about what alternatives were and one i have heard about a few times is um, a system called matomo and this is an again a web app um, analytics platform that focuses on giving you this hundred percent of data ownership so you can you can have control of these things yeah they specifically sell themselves as a privacy-focused data withholding, I'm not withholding, I want a better phrase, alternative to Google Analytics. Like, that is their big target. They are saying, GA is doing bad stuff that is now considered illegal. We are the ones that are protecting your privacy. Again, like we touched on with DuckDuckGo and Brave and ProtonVPN and all this kind of stuff, people are worried about privacy and Matamo are thinking about how they can kind of combat the titan when you think analytics you think google analytics like 99 percent of people working in any sort of digital thing where they use analytics are probably going to be using or at least thinking about google as the kind of the big brand in the same way that we do for search engines as well like we talked about the market share of search engines a few weeks ago it's really interesting to see these guys come out and specifically target that privacy side of things i think that could be a a really interesting marketing direction for them. Except those big enterprises that wanted to pay for Adobe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's not go there. <laughs> Matamo, their their website is going at analytics hard. So the the main title is, you know, the, it, it leads you in with Google Analytics Alternative that protects your data and customers' privacy. Then literally the next thing, the H2, is don't damage your reputation with Google Analytics. <laughs> it's, they are going Take back them. control with Matamo. 
Like, yeah, make analytics great by again. choosing the ethical alternative. Like, yeah, they're not they're not mincing their words. You could lose your customers' trust and risk damaging your reputation if people learn their data is used for quote Google's own purposes. Make it sound so malicious and evil. <laughs> they they are going at it hard. They are. Yeah. So you know, I just think this is the stage where you know we we're certainly going to be reviewing options with clients with analytics. It's really hard. I couldn't say which way this is going to go. I can't see analytics disappearing, to be honest. Something may have to change. Um, so but- my worry with that is I can see it disappearing because the people that do a lot of this legislative stuff fully don't understand how technology like this works. And obviously that is a difference when it comes to like privacy law and all this kind of stuff. There's been a big push there. But my worry is that people don't fully understand the ramifications of the legislations and things that they're going to be pushing through and it should be like right get rid of it all and then suddenly our entire industry crumbles around us <laughs> i think that's what corporate lobbyists is for isn't it yeah they just, yeah they just fix that and google's yeah. pretty pretty big so yeah we might yeah, be saved I, I don't know i i can't i can't see it going anywhere it might have to change i'm just i guess i'm surprised that those changes haven't happened already but yeah it's, it's something certainly to think about obviously if you're relying on analytics um and actually I guess tied to this would be a good time to bring in as well um, about well, when isn't it a good time to talk about data attribution models? Good question. We're talking about dinner table, first dates. <laughs> when isn't it a good time? So in related Google Analytics news, site owners last month were getting notifications about Google Analytics for properties being eligible for cross-channel data-driven attribution. Oh, thank God, finally. I know, right? (laughs) And I thought this was just worth, um, it it was worth touching on attribution um, briefly. It's a really big, complex topic. And, you know, lots of um, clients certainly I've dealt with when I even deal with the people who have been looking after their analytics, you know, sometimes don't have a handle on what, attribution models they're using and 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 how that works so the really really quick summary is if you're using uh universal analytics their default attribution model is the last non-direct click which essentially ignores direct traffic and attributes a hundred percent of the conversion value to the last channel that the customer clicked through before they bought or convert so that means if someone found you on a PPC ad one day and then they came back the next day directly by typing in your URL and then they went away and then they came back organically and then again directly, it would take the last non direct, which in that case would be organic, and it would say 100% of this conversion is thanks to your brilliant SEO team. Even though the landing page and the entrance was PPC led. Exactly. Yeah. So there's definitely issues with that model and there are different attribution models you can use to say do we just spread it out evenly between them and but it becomes a real um, nightmare because you know this this stuff's complicated i mean we we i remember working a few years ago on a really simple e-com site that sold um fairly cheap things in and by cheap i mean they weren't complex purchase decisions it was kind of like you look at it do you like it cool do you want to buy one (laughs) and when we were looking at that and this was before um well when everyone just took cookies because we gave them to them and nobody cares 
on average, it was like nine visits before people were purchasing. Wow. And this didn't take into account as well if they were using at the time different devices because we didn't have a good way right, of course, yeah. to track if they looked at lunch on their mobile or then they went home. So, you know, this attribution stuff is, is, is really tricky. GA4 is doing a lot more of this data-driven attribution. So I'll give you their um, description of this. So data-driven attribution distributes credit for the conversion based on data, surprisingly, for each conversion event. It's different from other models because it uses your account's data to calculate the actual contribution of each click interaction. So if I untie that a little bit, instead of just saying, okay, the last channel gets everything or we spread it evenly, or rather than trying to say PPC in general is worth twice that of organic or whatever, it actually uses the data in your account to see how those specific channels interact with each other. So this attribution uses machine learning algorithms to evaluate both converting and non-converting paths. The resulting data-driven model learns how different touch points impact conversion outcomes. The model incorporates factors such as time from conversion, device type, number of ad interactions, the order of ad exposure, and the type of creative assets. Using a counterfactual approach, the model contrasts what happens with what could have occurred to determine which touch points are most likely to drive conversions. The model attributes conversion credit to these touch points based on this likelihood. So, and that, by the way, that's the simple explanation. They have a tab uh, called advanced if you want to go in a bit deeper. But that advanced tab does have a picture, love a good picture. And it, it just goes on to show if we have four steps. So kind of like we said earlier, so say someone came in on paid search and then social and then affiliate and then an organic search. It says, okay, we've worked out there's a 3% conversion probability if we have that path so if we know if they go paid social affiliate search there's a 3% chance that user will convert as opposed to if we cut the end exposure off so we just have paid social affiliate they've calculated it's a it's a 2% probability so that one additional exposure of that channel that search is increasing the conversion probability by 50%. So from 2% to 3%, increasing by 50%. Exactly. Right, yeah. Now, why that's interesting is, you know, search is not just this thing you can say, oh, yeah, if if whatever happens, if they end up on search, they're 50% more likely to convert. What it's saying is with these specific channels in this order, this is how it affects the conversion. And it can do that for like it said, all different um, lengths of um, lengths of chains of visits, the time, how many you've had them until oh, they yeah. start understanding that. That very quickly becomes a big spider's web of user journeys across multiple different channels through long time periods and things like that. Yeah, I can see how that becomes very complicated very, very quickly. So yeah, it, it's the kind of thing you're getting to the level there where you'd maybe do this kind of analysis if you had the data you know, once a quarter, once a year to then make strategic decisions. So you could say, okay, well, people did this and that affected this. And you would have to get people involved there. 
with that level of calculation that really know what they're doing with that kind of data modeling because it's it's very easy to start for things to start start going off piece so that they've built that in um i think actually pretty decent quite exciting and i think this is the kind of thing that will drive when it's been in the oven a bit more maybe people onto ga4 but um again i found this really interesting i think it's got a real clear use case we'll put a link to their documentation search uk if you want to read more about it but it's certainly an extra tick in the ga4 column for me and that's everything we've got time for this week we'll be back in one week's time on monday the 28th of february and until then from jack and myself i hope you have a lovely week <laughs>